Are you an HR department of one trying to figure out how to balance task and strategy while keeping up with changes in regulatory compliance? Do you need a fresh outlook on old topics? Then stop what you're doing, grab your coffee, and get ready to recharge. If you have people, you have problems to solve and things to do. Your host is Brenda Neckvottle, a 20-year human resource professional, ready to explore the HR industry with veterans of business and life, with fresh eyes and new ideas. Learn about the rapidly evolving changes in employment law around the country, as well as new tactics to deploy and build engagement in your workforce. If you're looking to implement new practices to make your job easier in HR, then this podcast is for you. Hey everybody, and I'd like to welcome you to the Best Practices in Human Resource Podcast. My name is Brenda, and I am your host. And if you are joining us for the first time, thank you so very much. This is going to be yet another epic episode. Um, Got an awesome guest today, and uh, just excited that this is going to be your first time listening in. And if you guys have been uh, coming back time and time again to, uh, you know, to join the show. Thank you so very much. I really, really, truly appreciate it. Um, I am here to help share with you the what and the how in human resources because I'm in the human business and that means a greater number of dynamics in the workplace to balance and manage. But most importantly, today we are going to talk about a couple of things. So we're going to take a look at employment law changes across the nation. We're going to be talking, our main topic today is managing trauma in the workplace with um, a very special guest, uh, U.S. Navy SEAL Jason Redman. And Jason has been through trauma, and holy cow, has he been through trauma. <laughs> but he's also had to manage it as a result of his career and the things that he's accomplished. Um, we're going to talk about uh, some actions that have taken place around here locally to us. Uh, Jason is not only a retired U.S. Navy SEAL, he is also um, the owner and president of Eagle Rice Speakers Bureau, the, the bureau that I speak under, and so we've gotten to know each other actually quite well. Um, we are going to be taking it, so we're going to listening to him, we're going to have that conversation. Um, <clears throat> got just a couple announcements. Um, we are going to have the HR question of the day, and I'm going to share with you how to get best practices delivered to your inbox as we speak. But before we go on, <clears throat> folks, um, I definitely want to make sure that you guys are aware that the information available in this podcast is for informational purposes only and not for the purpose of providing legal advice. You should contact your attorney to obtain legal advice with respect to any particular issue. If you do not have an employment attorney, you may contact me and I may be able to refer one to you through our affiliates program over at Jackson Lewis and our friends that are over there. Okay, so first off, I apologize. <clears throat> I've kind of got a little bit of a bug. <laughs> so I'm, I'm punching through this episode and I sound a little bit froggy in the throat. So if I clear my voice, trust me, I, I humbly apologize for that. Um, so we're going to punch right through this as, as fast as we can so you don't have to listen to me bark in your ear too much today. Um, <clears throat> so stuff happening around the nation. So the National Safety Council states that has made the statement that no level of cannabis use is safe or acceptable for safety sensitive positions. Now, with this changing landscape, when it comes to marijuana usage and stuff like that, this is a key point because I'm not sure what's gonna happen with our, the status of our legislature, but guarantee it's gonna change. And this is certainly something that I'm keeping a very close attention to. Um, I'm starting to get requests to come and speak publicly on it about what employers can do. Um, I've got a, actually a workshop 
with another company uh, called 247 Compliance that has contracted me to come in and talk about this, and uh, another organization called um, Think HR, Train HR, excuse me, Train HR, and um, they have asked me to come and speak about this as well. So, <clears throat> um, yeah, <laughs> it's getting out there. So, part of the reason for this is the reason why this is is being broached is that. New York City, we've mentioned this before in previous shows, <clears throat> has a law taking effect the first of the year that prohibits employers just in New York City alone from being able to test for THC and pre-employment drug screening. So this is, it's making changes and it's making waves in the workplace. Okay, next up, the U.S. Department of Labor has announced a proposed rule that will now allow online retirement plan disclosures to take place, which will save companies and organizations a lot of money. So be, be on the lookout for that. Not sure when that's gonna be shifting, but <clears throat> we may wind up being one of the last major arms of what we are required to do to go from, move from paper to digital. Uh, the California Court of Appeals has clarified meal and rest period premium calculations and how companies can enforce uh, rounding policies. So if you're over in California, that's relatively new and bubbling to the surface. So if you're using rounding policies, you are definitely going to want to take a look at that as well as how you can calculate your meal and rest periods. So, and the, uh, also Florida in the beginning of, Jan uh, beginning of 2020 is also going to see a minimum wage increase. So be on the lookout for that if you're in the Sunshine State down there. And then Illinois Supreme Court, I think that's a sunshine state, <laughs> I think, think about it. Uh, anyway, it's Florida, so if you're down there, be on the lookout, minimum wage increase January 1. Uh, Illinois Supreme Court will, op uh, will actually make its decision <coughs> on a district's ability to restrict any type of SIF leave. So that is coming down the pike. That is all, believe it or not, that's all we have as far as what's going on across the nation. So um, we're just going to move right on in to the interview with Jason, and you guys are really, really just going to appreciate this one. Folks, I have got an awesome guest today. I'm really super excited. We've been planning this and planning this and planning this, and here we are. Finally, the day has arrived. Jason Redman, uh, former United States. I should know better not to say former. Oh my gosh, you're going to fire me just for saying that. Jason Redman, U.S. Navy SEAL, um, good friend and um, author and spokesperson. Um, he's got a lot going on and I'm not going to steal his thunder. So welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Brenda, thanks. Yeah, no problem. I don't take it personally when someone says former. I mean, they mean well. Uh, you know, but I know better. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. You know, it seems like the Marines are the ones that get most out of place. They get <laughs> they get torqued when someone says former, you know, and, you know, they're ready to kill. So <laughs> me, I just take it in stride. I, I know that, you know, people aren't trying to, to degrade me or anything. <laughs> I know. Next time I say that, I'm probably going to wind up having to buy somebody a shot or something like that. Not good. All anyway, right, you owe me. That, there you I go. know oh, I do oh, now. Right. See, I just opened that door, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right good one Bren. anyway so um today we are talking the episode is about managing trauma in the workplace and 
Um, I thought of you because your background and some of the things that you've experienced in your career in the Navy and serving with the teams um, would be perfect. And we got some local examples. But uh, before we get into this topic, um, I would love for you to give people a background of who you are, what you're doing, what you're up to, and um, how you got to where you're here consolidated. How's that? Yeah, absolutely. No, I appreciate it. So, um, yeah, I've been blessed. I've had kind of an amazing journey. I was a young kid, 17-year-old kid that joined the Navy and uh, obviously went to the SEAL teams. I mean, graduated from SEAL training when I was only 19 years old. Um, had a very um, successful career as a young enlisted member working, doing counter-drug type stuff down in Central and South America. Went on to be an instructor was continuing to excel, got recommended for a commissioning program. I got commissioned and came back, but a key thing happened while I was off getting commissioned, going to Old Dominion University, 9-11 happened. Mm -hmm. So I came back to the SEAL teams thinking here I was, very successful, this very young, brand new officer who thought I knew a lot because I had prior enlisted experience, but I stepped into a world where the SEAL teams had changed overnight. And, uh, and that actually led me down a, uh, a hard path, a very hard road, because I made some mistakes as a young leader, kind of hanging on too tight, not being willing to humble myself. All of that led to this perfect storm that culminated with a bad call on a mission in Afghanistan that thankfully nobody was injured, nobody was lost. I think the only thing damaged was my professional reputation. <laughs> and uh, and uh, you know, it was a uh, it was a checkpoint in my life. It was the first of what I call what I talk to people about my the first life ambush I ever walked into. Mm -hmm. And um, and thankfully, I had some great leaders and mentors who said, hey, you know, yeah, you made some mistakes, but you've also shown some great potential. So we're going to walk you down the road of humbling you and educating you. And that's kind of the journey that I went down, figuring those things out, figuring out how to be a better leader. I went off to U.S. Army Ranger School and learned a lot about both the Army and myself and about how uh, we lead in chaotic and traumatic situations and then went off to Iraq, had a very successful event, eventful uh, Iraq deployment in 2007. Uh, found myself on the receiving end of a machine gun literally only one week from coming home. Uh, got all shot up, uh, hit eight times between my body and body armor, which started a whole new journey, coming mm -hmm. to understand what it is to um, lead really from any situation. And this is a big thing I talk to companies and individuals about, you know, the great thing uh, the, the, the blessing and the curse of trauma and bad things is uh, you have a choice. You have a choice in how you're going to react to it. And, you know, you can either sit there and feel sorry for yourself or you can figure out how to move forward. And thankfully, I think because of some of the other circumstances I've been through, namely my leadership failure, I decided I was going to choose to drive forward and be positive. And uh, and that's what I did. And that kind of launched me on a whole new path. Um, I finished my military career and ended up retiring with uh, um, about two weeks shy of 21 years. So, you know, with my injuries, I round up to 21 years. So um, I think I earned that. <laughs> yeah, I would. Yes, I would think so, too. I was going to say yeah. I'd round it up to 30, but yeah, knowing what no, we no, no. through, but I only, round, I only round up two weeks, only okay. two weeks. So, All right. So instead of saying, you know, yeah, I was two weeks shy of 21. So I round up to 21 years. 
And uh, but I got out there and I started my own nonprofit. I was working with Wounded Warriors and um, and I started to learn a lot about both the trauma that I had been through, the trauma that they had gone through and specifically getting out and working with companies and individuals and teams and meeting individuals that had been through their own level of traumatic or life-changing or crisis, massive levels of adversity, or companies that maybe they'd been acquired and now they were trying to implement massive change. All these things um, equated as I worked with all these different people with this idea that everybody gets ambushed. Mm -hmm. I was in an enemy ambush and survived that, but everybody goes through life ambushes, companies, individuals, things like that. So that really has become my primary focus now as I'm driving forward. I mean, my company, Soft Spoken, that is our focus. It is on how to help companies, individuals, and organizations and teams be the best versions of themselves, um, how to navigate out of crises they may be in, and how to proactively better be, be better prepared for future ones. So, so I'm doing that now. Um, all of that, the great thing, all of that's coming into my second book that's due out in December. And then the other thing I'm very focused on helping veterans. Um, one of my primary focuses right now is on mental health and brain research. I think those Mm -hmm. are the two areas that our returning warriors are struggling in. Uh, they need help to sort their way through PTSD. Mm -hmm. And then we're having a ton of guys and gals that have come home with uh, traumatic brain injuries. And the reality is we don't understand it. We don't understand what blasts are doing to the brain. So I'm working with a group that is focused on that long-term brain research and getting uh, fellow combat veterans to pledge their brains so that someday uh, we'll study them and we'll be able to better understand what we're doing and how we can both – prevent future brain injuries and also how we can treat existing brain injuries. Right. Oh, I know. I love, I love what you guys are doing. I think it's so, I think it's awesome. And as you know, the, you know, the work that I do in my background, that that is certainly a subject near and dear to my heart as well as, as well as a lot of people in the community that, you know, suffer horrendously from and, and quietly from those types of injuries. So yeah, good absolutely. on you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. So let's take a step back into your your naval days, if you would, please. So <clears throat> how have in your past, when we my, talk my, about... My, my, my former days? In your former days, right. Your former <laughs> days. This, oh, you just conned me into another shot, didn't you? Oh, oh man. <laughs> nice. Way to go. All right. Game on, big guy. We're on a... <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I'm going to wind up regretting this one, but that's okay. <laughs> It's all good. I love it's it. All I'll good. do one with you. Yeah, I'll do one with you. All right. So going back into your past career <laughs> in, your, in your naval days, um, no doubt that you have seen. I, I know. I mean, to even <laughs> question whether you guys have seen trauma or not is just not even worth mentioning. It's not. It's a ridiculous question to ask. But how have you guys seen? trauma being managed in your workplace effectively and how have you seen it being managed ineffectively and these two distinctions are going to be critical for people that and that are listening to this who have not had an opportunity in their career to have to manage through trauma which trust me is not something that any HR professional wishes for but we know we need it but we don't always either know where to go, how to plan for it. 
and just by examples and sharing stories will trigger ideas and thoughts and and you know i ideas for possible things to do in the future so would you be willing to share with me those two aspects yeah absolutely i i I think we need to peel back the onion a little bit though to get people to think about you know what what qualifies as trauma and and how i i try and quantify that for people to make sense Certainly. Um, because the mechanisms of how people react in it, the, the, the situations are different, but a lot of times how people react is the same. So when I look at trauma or what I like to call life ambushes, because typically a lot of times trauma comes in the form of something that we don't expect mm-hmm. um, and it totally catches us off guard or sometimes, and believe it or not, it's actually in the greater majority, there are indicators that it's coming, but oftentimes we either procrastinate or we ignore those indicators. Um, regardless, it doesn't really matter because whether you procrastinate or ignored, no matter what, both routes, whether it's totally unexpected or whether there were indicators, it arrives us back at that critical moment where something unexpected that we didn't plan for totally knocked us off our right. off our our off our game uh, and totally disrupted everything that we were planning on doing. Right. So that's why I like to call them life ambushes, you know, because uh, they, they kind of operate in that manner. Um, the point of any incident uh, in, in, or the point of attack in an ambush is called the X. So I, you'll hear me a lot. If people listen to me or you read my book or you'll hear my speeches, I talk a lot about how critical it is to get off the X. Mm-hmm. And, and this is how my team and I managed to survive that ambush I was in in Iraq. And it is the same way how individuals, teams, organizations uh, are able to survive or quickly navigate out of the trauma or a life crisis they're going to be in also. So how do I define those things? I kind of put them on a scale. And at the lower end, I say it's kind of the maybe the unexpected or the ending of a relationship. From there, it goes to a divorce. It can be personal or professional failure. It can be um, bankruptcy. It could be uh, a lawsuit for a company. It could be, you know, you've worked a long time on a brand new product and you're getting ready to launch it here in the next couple of months. And suddenly your top competitor launches the exact same product that you were going to launch early and suddenly you're left with all this money invested in this brand new product. They basically beat you to the punch. Mm-hmm. Uh, this happens on a regular basis. Or a smaller company that is um, out there, they've come out with a new product and a larger company feels threatened by them. So they tie them up in litigation to try and bleed them dry. I've seen this happen a lot. Um, or it is uh, life-threatening illness or injury to you or someone you love. It could be uh, sexual assault, sexual trauma to you or someone you love. Uh, it could be the unexpected loss of a loved one. And one of the biggest impacts I've seen on people is the loss of a child. Um, mm-hmm. So these are all trauma. These are all the things that your employees and the people you work with are going to encounter. So how do people react when these situations occur? You know, everybody's a little different, but there tends to be initial reaction that happens in the moment. Um, And this is where now we'll take a step back to my Navy career, because what truly makes the difference, I feel, um, to be better prepared for trauma when it comes or life ambushes when they come is we have to be proactive versus reactive. 
Right. And in order to be proactive, you need three things. Uh, you need preparation. So a little bit of training. We start thinking about how am I, I know that bad things are going to happen. So how do I take care of myself? How do I get ready? Balance in, in how we take care of ourselves, our employees, you know, do you have a wellness program? Do you have all these things that are going to take care of people? And then the last one, you know, do you encourage within yourself, within your company, what I like to call the overcome mindset? Um, do you encourage your people that no matter what adversity comes along, we're going to figure out a way through it. Those three things enable you to be much more proactive when these hard moments happen. Um, mm -hmm. In combat, so the SEAL teams obviously have an amazing ability to hit those three things. We have taught our guys how we, we, we undergo massive amounts of training and preparation. Uh, we are very balanced in the different missions we train for. We're physically trained. We're mentally trained. We're very, we learn how to emotionally control ourselves and how to manage fear so that you have courage in the face of fear. Um, we build tremendous teams uh, so that you're going into it with tremendous individuals. And of course, we build a tremendous mindset, you know, this overcome mindset. So when these things happen. So typically when something bad happens overseas, our guys are fairly well trained to be able to deal with it um, and to not get overwhelmed by the moment. But I oftentimes work with forces who were not trained at that level. And we may get into a gunfight and I would look over and perhaps, you know, for instance, some of our Iraqi counterparts we were working with would totally be hunkered down and not doing anything. And I would kind of go over in the middle of this gunfight and say, what are you doing? you know, with the interpreter, of course, and they'd say, I think we're being shot at. <laughs> I'd I mean, say, yes. Yeah, just a little. And you need to shoot back because <laughs> you hiding behind this car is doing nothing. So, but what's amazing about this is people in life and, and in traumatic situations have a tendency to do the same thing. You know, we, we get overwhelmed by this moment, whether it's, you know, a company, a team or an individual. And when something bad happens, it sucks. Mm -hmm. um, that situation is overwhelming. We're processing a massive amount of information. Things are usually happening very fast and, and we're, we're off balance. We're kind of reeling, trying to figure out, oh, my God, what do I do? This sucks. This horrible thing has happened. Uh, <clears throat> Where do I go? And usually the first thing that people do is they um, they go into denial. You know, oh, this isn't that bad. Or, you know, ah, maybe this, you know, like that guy, I think we're in a gunfight. Yes, you are being shot at. You know, it is time to address it. It is time to uh, absolutely recognize that there is a problem. So anyways, that that's one of the things that I've seen and I've seen I've seen it happen in other organizations. They tend mm -hmm. to get stuck in the crisis point. Um, and obviously emotions are high and mm -hmm. uh, people are dealing. And this is the next thing that starts to happen. And this is especially true in the leadership. Leadership has a tendency to um, start looking at. They start looking for someone or something to blame yes. in that situation, which is um, crazy because that's not even something you should be worried about in the moment. What you should be worried about in the moment is how do you get out of that situation? How do you identify a path to move out of that situation and deal with it? Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yet so many organizations, individuals, teams waste all this time sitting there on the X, as I like to call it, the point of the incident, and uh, um, looking for someone or something to blame. Yes, and I will and I absolutely support that. So something that I am working with the business leaders that I've worked with over the last several years, um, 10 years or so, I've always maintained that, you know, when they say that it's lonely at the top, you're not kidding because you you don't really have very many people that you can consult with or confer to and talk to. And so unless you, as a as an Apex leader, have that kind of mechanism to off-gas, so to speak, and to bounce stuff off and have somebody that you can talk through and work through your thoughts, emotions, perceptions, then they just tend to kind of get a little festered up. And so when things things go, you know, sideways, then it is not uncommon that the manager or the leader or whoever it is, they haven't had that opportunity to clearly think through things. So they there's that what is perceived from employees as that lashing out that striking out or you're absolutely right when they do wind up meeting with their HR person they immediately you're like I just want to fire the guy <laughs> it's just like all of a sudden they just don't want it to be their problem anymore and it's and it moves along fairly quickly unless you're fully prepared to you know stand and stop a moving locomotive coming right at you yep absolutely and uh so we you know and I think one of the great ways that you deal with these situations so when I talk about those three components at the beginning, preparation and training, balance, mm-hmm. and the overcome mindset, um, in my new book, Overcome, we write about a methodology. And what it was based on is this idea that, you know, in preparation and training, we, we develop what we call an immediate action drill. So if bad situation A happens, we're going we're gonna, to um, reply to it with, um, you know, response B. Mm-hmm. And if bad situation B happens, we're going to respond to it with, you know, or reply to it with C or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So um, these are the immediate action drills. So what I tell people in life is, you know, you have to start thinking about it. And God forbid, I mean, none of us, none of us ever want to think, oh, my God, what would happen if I lost a child? Right. Um, but the flip side of that coin is, I mean, my son is a DJ here in Hampton Roads. Uh, great DJ, DJs all over the place. So he DJed Tab high school's um, homecoming on Friday night and uh, three students left that homecoming and were in a severe car accident. All three of them were killed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, right now here in Hampton Roads, there is a family that is absolutely devastated. And I I think about what would happen. How would I deal with that? Um, So, at the end of the day, you owe it to yourself at least to think about, you know, to steal your mind and think about bad things happen to good people all the time. Mm-hmm. And if you are so reactive, if you're so in denial that that'll never happen to me, you are going to be crushed when that ambush comes. Right. Um, so you at least have to accept the fact that bad things are going to happen to individuals. They're going to happen within a company. They're going to happen within a team. And if you are better prepared, knowing that, you know, something bad is going to happen, then you can better respond to it. And I think that's one of the big things. So we develop what I call the react methodology mm-hmm. to be able to utilize when a crisis develops. And this is something that any leader or any team can use to hope, hopefully prevent you from doing those, A, emotional lash outs, or B, time, time wasting uh, endeavors when these situations occur.
So, right. so we can, we call it the react methodology because of this. So when something bad happens, you've got to react and react is an acronym. So the very first thing you've got to recognize that you have a crisis, that a traumatic thing has occurred within your company uh, or within your team or even within you. And you've got to recognize and accept the crisis. Uh, like I said, we talked earlier, a lot of people, they want to be in denial. Um, they don't want to deal with it. Uh, sometimes leaders have a tendency to try and take the problem on their, themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, they think they can manage it themselves. Uh, and oftentimes it grows wildly out of control. And if they had actually got their team involved and actually had admitted there was a crisis earlier, they probably could have fixed it a lot sooner. And it could have been a smaller crisis than the big one it's blown up into. Right. Um, from there, and I'm sure you guys see this, you know, the flip side of the coin, if you have somebody on your team that maybe is going through a personal type crisis, uh, the next step, you know, we may see that they're having problems and they're in that denial. So the next step tends to be avoidance. Uh, and you talked about the leaders at the apex who don't have somebody to share with mm -hmm. leaders do it too. They yep. don't want to admit they have a problem. No, I'm good. We're all good. Everything's <clears> fine. <throat> Uh, other people may say it and offer to help, but we don't want to admit that we have a problem. So we tend to push people away. We tend to start avoiding people and, uh, cause we don't want to talk about this major problem, this, you know, giant wart we have. Uh, it's and then, not, I'm going to interject there. It's not uncommon for an HR pro. And I don't mean to derail you here, but I just, this is a perfect segue. There've been many times where I've brought a, a situation forward to uh, somebody, uh, one of the Apex leaders that I've worked with, or directly or indirectly, just consulting or being part of the team. And I will get the, well, we're going to worry about it when it becomes a problem. And then when it actually, I'm like, well, it is a problem. <laughs> Good news, yeah. it is a problem. You called it out. But but it's not, it, what happens is that, it, therefore, it doesn't become the problem or the priority of the moment. And so, it's like you said, it's that avoidance thing. So now it becomes a festering time bomb. So that when it does get to that fifth level to where, you know, everything is flying and it hits the fan, now the reaction to it or the response to it, it really does become a, like a reaction. I'm not talking about react as in, you know, your acronym that you're going through here. I'm talking about it's not a well thought out response. Now it is everybody's just, you know, body parts are flailing left and right, trying to, you know, words are being said that shouldn't be said. And, it, you know, motions are now charged. And now it has just become something up. So before it actually gets to that part, that is not a very uncommon problem that HR professionals face when we get pushback from bringing something forward. Yeah, it's about being proactive versus reactive. Right. It's kind of right. like you, you've, you've come to the leader and say, hey, uh, we found this bomb and we really think we should defuse it. And the leader says, you know what? We'll deal with it after it blows up. Right. And that's really the equivalent of that. And that's what happens. Now, you know, if we can defuse a bomb before it ever happens, we save a lot of lives. We save a lot of stress. We save money. a lot of trauma. Money. Yeah, money. Uh, but oftentimes that bomb may not be the top priority. You know, right, if we're in right. the middle of a firefight, we don't want to defuse the bomb. But sometimes we have to recognize the impact of this is going to be greater if we don't deal with it now. Correct. So uh, once we recognize and we accept, hey, we've got a crisis, we've got to deal with it. Uh, the next thing is now E. You've got to evaluate what your assets are. And, you know, this is a big thing. We need to start looking at what assets do we need to bring to bear to deal with this problem. So, 
You know, in our situation we talked about earlier with a company that uh, a smaller company that a larger company is trying to bleed them dry to put them out of business. You know, obviously we're going to need attorneys. You know, we might need mm-hmm. some mentors that have seen a situation like this before. You know, maybe we've got some board members who have more experience with this. Maybe our advisory board. We need to look at who are the big players we can bring in that can give us that guidance. Um, I always use the analysis that night in the firefight that I was all shot up in, um, I remember laying there thinking through, okay, you know, this is a really bad situation. What do we have at our disposal? And I remember thinking to myself, okay, you know, not too far away, we have a Marine Corps quick reaction force, you know, about 200 yards away. I have my other team. Um, You know, we had drones, we had helicopters. um, We had, we had a, a AC-130 gunship. So these were all the assets we had to bring to bear on this problem. And I think in any kind of crisis or any kind of traumatic event within a company, they have to start thinking through that also. They have to basically rack and stack. Okay, what do we have to utilize right now? Or what might we have to bring in external to deal with this problem? Um, number three is A. Now you've got to assess the best options and outcomes. And this is where, um, Brenda, you and I were talking a little bit earlier, where people have a tendency to, in these traumatic situations, especially when, in our example, if the bomb's already gone off, Mm -hmm. now we're in crisis emergency mode. Mm -hmm. And people have a tendency in crisis emergency mode to sometimes make very quick um, yes. Decisions without thinking through the full impact of those decisions. So, so often people will be in a, cr- a crisis, traumatic situation. And because they didn't fully think through, all they were thinking about is I want to get out of this situation as quickly as possible. So sometimes they actually put themselves in a worse situation than the, the situation they were in. Right. And I want I've got an example to share, but I want you to finish going through your acronyms and then we'll come back to that. Okay, perfect. Um, so in this situation, you've got to identify, here's our assets. So what, you know, this is option a, you know, we're going to take option a, but you've got to play through. What does that look like? And a lot of people tell me, well, you're in a crisis. You can't think through that. Listen, man, I've been in firefights and I've done this. (laughs) You, Mm -hmm. You can go through this process very quickly, like 30 seconds to a minute. If I can do this in a firefight, you absolutely can do it in a company or individual or team crisis. And, and I tell you what, it will make the difference between putting yourself in a worse situation or hopefully giving yourself time and moving you and your team to a better situation. So you identify the options and you identify the outcomes. So many people will choose the easy route over the harder route, yep. even though the harder route is the best outcome. And that's a very important thing. This is where leaders need to lean on each other and, and weigh in and say, okay, you know, yes, this short-term, um, this short-term gain may be good, but it's going to set us up for long-term pain. Instead, we need to flip that and, hey, we're willing to endure this short-term pain because it's going to set us up for better long-term gain to get out of the situation. So, um the, the fourth one is C, you've got to choose and you've got to communicate. So a lot of companies and individuals, when they're in a crisis, they're dealing with trauma, they will, um, they, they will um, sit there and they'll go through this process and, and they keep going back and forth between the different options. They can't choose one because, 
you know, sometimes in bad situations, you're trying to choose the best of the bad options. And, and oftentimes that's a hard decision to do, but you've got to choose something. You are in a crisis, you're in a traumatic event, you've got to choose and, and move. And here's where the other thing, oftentimes leaders will keep all this information to themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, it's critical that you got to communicate to your people because when you're in some sort of crisis event, you, no one's on the, no one's on the X by themselves, your company, your team, your family, your spouse, they're all pulling onto the X with you. <clears throat> so it's critical that you choose which direction you're going to take. And now you communicate it to the people around you. And I tell you what, people are starving for someone to give guidance in a crisis. Yes. Uh, but, us- but usually what happens, <laughs> you know, is the leadership is all close hold trying to figure out what they're doing. And they're not really in information. So people's, you know, people are left in the dark and they're like, oh, my God, what's happening? Right. So it's very important to choose and communicate the last component. You have to take action. You absolutely have to take action. So many companies will sit there and individuals will sit there forever uh, on the X and, you know, going through this process without moving, without driving forward. And, uh, and they will get pinned down and they will just get stuck. And the longer you sit in that crisis, the longer you sit in that traumatic event, the harder it is to get out of it. It's like quicksand. Yeah. Yeah. And the only way to get through it, to get past it is to get through it. That's right. And so you have to take action. So many people are waiting for this perfect moment to come. It is never coming ever. No. So, you know, the time to move is now. If you've gone through that React methodology, you've you've weighed what are your best options, and even if all your best options suck, <laughs> you 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 pick the best of the worst and you go. And you may recognize that you've moved from a bad position to uh, still a bad position, but that's okay. Do the React methodology again, and then finally get to a place where. Now you have the opportunity to do damage control. You have the opportunity to start putting systems in place to try and help people. Um, and, and, you know, if someone was the cause of the problem, that's the time you start to look at, you know, okay, you know, is there disciplinary action, you know, necessary and things like that. But it's definitely right. not in the moment. So No, it's not. It's not. And, you know, and if you could – Think of a time, <clears throat> again, pretty vanilla without details, but when you've actually, one of the things that I see that happens is that when you've got a subordinate, so let's say if you've got like a subordinate supervisor in your hierarchy, and they are all about not doing exactly what you stated or even a portion of that, and how have you handled, how have you worked with your people to make sure that when you see somebody who's a quick reactor, not react as in your as in your acronym, but a knee jerker, so to speak, what do you do? Like, how do you how do you work with them to get through that and to not have that behavior instilled in them anymore? So, I mean, I'll give you a perfect example, and actually, it involves me. I was the individual that was the quick reactor. I mean, it was one of my flaws as a young uh, leader. And a uh, perfect example, it was the, the kind of final, final perfect storm uh, that occurred on a mission. And we were providing overwatch for a team that was sweeping through a valley in Afghanistan that got into a big firefight on the valley floor. 
And um, <clears throat> I was one of the, uh, myself and, you know, I had a team of individuals and one of the members of that team was a machine gunner. And I basically made the decision to head down into the valley to provide support for those guys that were in the firefight below. And um, our, one of our senior enlisted advisors, who he and I did not get along at all. So this further complicated this scenario because I basically said I was going down to support those guys. He said no. And I was like, yeah, you know, screw you. Um <laughs> You know, because I saw myself, hey, I'm running to the sound of the gun. I'm, I'm helping these guys. But it was a bad it was a bad decision because I did not have all the information. Mm-hmm. So and that was one of the big learning points that my leadership did with me to try and help me for the future. And something I encourage for everyone, you know, in a crisis, it's critical to try and gather all the information we can. And this is why there, there's a massive sense of urgency in a crisis. Yes. So uh, especially for junior leaders, there's a natural tendency to want to to, you know, uh, immediately react to immediately do something when you may not have all the information. We have a saying in in combat, you've got to let the battlefield develop. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes, you know, and, and this isn't something where you're sitting there for days, but believe it or not, in a crisis, you do need to take a little bit of time to kind of let the dust settle just a little to identify, OK, what what does this crisis really look like? Um, oftentimes there may be multiple parts of a problem and you may have only identified one and it may take a little bit of time before you're identifying the multiple other parts of that problem. And this is where allowing the battlefield to develop or allowing that crisis to develop is where now you can make a more accurate assessment of what you should do. So you're now more aware of the assets you have. Um, You know, if you've identified there's a crisis and E, you're evaluating your assets. If you if you make a decision so quickly that you're not aware of all the assets you have, you know, now you're operating off um, poor information. Mm-hmm. So this is where educating your people to, hey, you know, you've got to take a little bit of a tactical pause. You've got to take a breath and and really look around. We tend to get tunnel vision in a crisis. That sense of urgency is choking us out. Take that breath and look around and, um, you know, start to figure out what really is the end state. Yeah, I had. Uh, years ago in the summer of 2015, I, and I, I may have mentioned this in a previous episode or not, but we had, <clears throat> I'm in a meeting and my phone just starts blowing up. I, I mean, blowing up. It would not stop. And I'm like, would you please excuse me? I need to figure out what's going on. Turned out that it was one of my clients who had called that they had two employees that got into near fisticuffs. Didn't actually happen, but one employee actually threatened to uh, take a utility knife and slice the other guy from ear to ear. And I named these two guys the instigator and the offender. Short version was the instigator um, had uh, met the offender at the time clock. Words had exchanged. I don't know why the words had exchanged, but they did. Um, <clears throat> and uh, they respect. They went to their each respective buildings and their workstations. Well, the instigator got up, went into the other building to continue the exchange of words that took place over at the time clock, and that's when the offender hit his limit, grabbed the utility knife. He says, if you don't get away from me, I'm going to slit you a, a new one from ear to ear, and it freaked everybody out, as you could well imagine. So my phone starts blowing up, and it was amazing that, you know, I've spent, 
a lot of time working through different types of contingencies. You know, I worked as a rescue diver for years and it's and it never fails. And I don't think people really truly understand the blessing behind training. And that is, is that when you drill and you train and you mentally prepare yourself and everything that Jay is talking about, what happens is the chaos tends to silence itself or diminishes because you are your training is rising to the level of, of everything that you're going through and you instinctively just know what to do because you've been training, you've been running into this situation or the scenario over and over and over again. And in my situation um, was I'm telling the CEO of the company, I don't want you anywhere near what's going on downstairs. I want you to send your VP and your director of HR down there. They will do the investigation. You have this guy professionally removed by the cops. And you and I are going to sit and talk about how you're going to respond to the workplace on this. And everybody went out and deployed. And I said, the big thing that we need to do is we have to get control of this environment. And the way we do that is we isolate the, in, the instigator and the offender. We, get, we remove the offender from the property and we put them on administrative leave. Once we have that under control, now we can start asking the questions, what is going on? And it was amazing to me that after all of this, every, all of my prior experiences led up to that one moment. And I, I honestly couldn't believe I was as calm as I was in dealing with something that really is naturally would be rattling you. Yeah, absolutely. Because you had dealt with, you had trained and prepared mm -hmm. for that situation and we're ready for it. I think yeah. it's awesome. Yeah. So, and thankfully nobody got hurt. And the owner of the company was upset because he didn't feel that we needed the cops there. But it turned out that the offender was a former police officer who obviously was well-trained in how to handle, you know, blades and, you know, physical contact. And I'm just like, we got to get this guy out of here with the right people that know how to, that understands how to deal with them. And, you know, well, I mean, that's a pretty big red flag in any of them. Yeah. I mean, you know, if someone's saying I'm going to do bodily harm on you, you know, whether I'm going to shoot you or whether I'm going right. to cut you open. Uh, yeah, that should be a major red flag in any organization, you know, even yep. in a military organization. Yeah. But that goes back to your point where, you know, you made the, the comment earlier that leaders tend to think they can take this problem on by themselves. And here the owner is all upset at us for, you know, having to call in the police and make such a big deal out of it. And I'm like, well, the bigger deal was one employee threatening another violently. Yeah. In my opinion, that's like that's our that's our scenario of you've got a bomb. Mm -hmm. Hey, sir, we just want to let you know we found this bomb. And we really think we should defuse it. So defusing it would be calling in the police and removing it, you know, or, right. uh, instead of waiting for that bomb to explode. Right. And in this case, if it did explode and if the owner got involved, there was a very strong risk that the owner would have risked getting mortally, you know, injured or hurt or, or somebody or, else or, for that or, matter. That's what I was going to say. Or worse, yeah. somebody within his company and he didn't react. I mean, he, right. didn't, take, uh, <laughs> right. he didn't take action when he should have. Right. So the CEO and I handled it and, and it turned out, it turned out, you know, it turned out well, thankfully, but nobody did wind up getting hurt. And, you know, the post, the post side of that was that we worked to bring in the EAP, the employee assistance program. And we had 
um, I worked with that company directly as you know they had enrollment in that and we brought in a counselor the funny part about this whole story is it, it was, this happened on a Friday this isn't the funny part it happened on a Friday we brought the counselor in first thing on Monday because we wanted to make sure that we had somebody there who was capable of managing through you know em employee fears the trauma is now subsided at this point but people have been traumatized right or we were concerned about that and that's that's a whole different stage and so um you know we were concerned about this you know people wanting to come back into an, a workplace where they didn't feel safe and um i got the phone call at the end of the day and i said how did it go and they said well we met with five people and i said okay great and they said yeah we want everybody wanted to know why they were only required to take 30 minutes of lunch when everybody else was able to take an hour so we solved that problem too while we were at it <laughs> and nice. i'm like that was the only thing that came out of it and i was like okay cool uh, moving on <laughs> next next problem so oh. So we, so I want to take you and I to something that has happened here locally, and and I think between you and I, we can. I'll, I'll give the backstory about this. Um, I know we've talked about it a few months ago, and then we've talked about it just before this call. But for those of you who are listening, um, it is no nothing uncommon. It's not uncommon knowledge that back in late May of this year, um, Virginia Beach experienced a mass shooting. And it was very unfortunate. Um, I know it hit all of us really hard. You and Ray, and was it John that did a a podcast on it? Uh, it was. Um, no, oh it wasn't gosh, John. I, was can, it? I can see his face. And yeah, I know. I can too. <laughs> Dave, Dave. Yes, Dave. There Dave he is. <laughs> right. Yeah, thank you. Teaching active and mass shooting responses. Exactly. So we, you know, I listened to what you guys had to say, and that it was really great. And it dawned on me that you know there's still there there's always when you have a big trauma or traumatic experience like that it's not an easy cut okay it's done now we put it away i mean it, it takes a while for people to really kind of come down from something like that and unfortunately there there can also be some side casualty that takes place as well and in this case we had two employees um that within about a month after the shooting had taken place were arrested both of them were arrested and I'll, I'll walk through the backstory so john mciver was an it employee and uh, it was time for the employees to return back to the building that they had worked in and he conveyed that he was not ready to go back and um the other person her name was Elizabeth Mann, had also uh, informed really immediately after uh, that she was not really happy with the direction of how things were going. She felt this was a situation that could be, that was prevented. And it occurred to me that when both of these two individuals got arrested for the same reason, which was disturbing the peace, that there was still a lot of missing elements and obviously information because we'll never know the full details. So I want to be very, very careful and respective that we're not like casting blame or anything like that on people. But there still was a lot of work that needed to be done. And this is a, I think, in my opinion, uh, my humble opinion, that this is a really great example of a knee-jerk reaction. So John MacGyver was actually, um, was, he wanted to talk to human resources and he wanted to find out what his alternatives were. And two of his supervisors went down to the magistrate's office and had a warrant issued for his arrest. And conversely, <clears throat> Elizabeth Mann 
left and she was fired, uh, terminated a little over a week after an internal investigation that had took place saying that she had violated the city's violence prevention policy and quite frankly, she, neither person ever made the charge or made an accusation or a lurch towards anybody verbally or physically that they were going to take anyone out. They just voiced their frustration. And it seemed to me that as part of this process that one, and I would love to hear your comments as well, Jay, one, that we probably didn't have managers or enough personnel that were prepared to handle high-charged individuals. And number two, we I don't think that there was a process in place to where the people that were on the receiving end of these, you know, terse comments or highly charged emotions really fully understood what direction to go in. Yeah. And who knows what uh, training or guidance they were given. I mean, you know, there could have been the, it, it actually could have been the exact opposite of the training. They could have said, Hey, we've got to make sure something like this never happens again. Right. So if there's any negative comments whatsoever, we're just going to go with the strategy. We're getting rid of people, which yeah. obviously there's flaws in that system. But I will say it is a natural reaction for people and individuals. Um, and, and I describe this as most um, life ambushes actually happen in two phases. You have the initial point of incident ambush, and then you have the aftermath effects of the ambush, which is almost like a secondary ambush. Right. So you know, I can give the example of my battlefield injuries. So I incurred those injuries in the actual enemy ambush that occurred on the battlefield in Iraq. But the secondary ambush started once I got to the hospital. And now I was facing years of being put to, back together. And and both the, the uh, psychological impacts of being in that firefight, the psychological impacts of being pulled away from my team, uh, the psychological impacts of, you know, having doctors tell me we're going to amputate your arm and, you know, how we're going to put you back together, all those things. Um, I think organizations have to think about that also. If there is mm -hmm. some sort of incident, you know, even if you've dealt with the incident itself, you now have to think about what are the long term impacts of that incident and how do we deal with that? So obviously, you know, the city of Virginia Beach looked at, well, how do we prevent future mass shooting scenarios, which God forbid we have another one of those. So I yeah. can appreciate where we take a heavy handed approach. To that. <clears throat> but the flip side of that coin is, you know, people handle tra traumatic events differently. And yes. I, mean, I, 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 um, you know, I have not been in a civilian based mass shooting situation. Obviously I got shot in combat. Um, so that's a little bit expected. Um, it's a whole different animal when you're at work one day and suddenly this mass shooting situation unfolds around you and you're seeing coworkers who have been injured or potentially, you know, are killed. Um, so for some people that have seen that, you know, I talk about they're on the X of that secondary ambush, the psychological, the mental trauma, and, and it takes longer for some people to get off that X than others. Mm -hmm. And I think as employers, you have to understand that and people are going to react differently. So I do agree with you that that was probably a knee jerk reaction. Yeah. Um, and obviously, I think it was found in both cases that they were wrong. 
Yeah. Yeah. The both cases were ruled that there was actually nothing, anything that they did was criminal. So in this case, so not only did you have one person that was actually arrested in front of their employees, another person was arrested at home. Um, you had two employees that have now lost their positions, obviously. Um, they have now been placed up, you know, on charges locally, misdemeanor and felony alike. And, um, you know, there's cost involved in that. And then now that, that opens up liability, you know, to the city because those people could probably turn around and file another lawsuit, a counter lawsuit against them. And, you know, that just continues, that drags that trauma out long term. So, you know, if, and again, this is very not dipping into a lot of details because they're just not available. But, you know, when companies are faced with a challenge like this, and, and this is, you know, we can roll into some, you know, shooting out a couple of best practices. So I'm going to go ahead and, and lop the first one out there is that, you know, when you have a trauma in the workplace, even though you, you could be prepared for it, but you're always going to come up against the unknown. And when something horrible happens in the workplace, you have to do as the best job you can to really kind of get in front of or predict on how your employees may or may possibly react or respond to a certain situation. In this case, um, you know, again, only having highlights of what happened, my recommendation would have been that there would have been more time spent with the managers who had to have these conversations Plus, maybe even having somebody who's a little bit more experienced present to help diffuse the reaction and the response and actually work through it to come to a positive conclusion rather than, in this case, two arrests. Yeah, I agree. So what would, what would be some other recommendations that you would throw out there for employers who um, may, at some point in time, probably have to deal with some form of trauma in the workplace? I mean, I think they got to, they need to recognize that it is that two-part effect. There is the immediate trauma. Okay, now we've dealt with that situation, but what is the aftermath? So let's go back to the situation you talked about where the two individuals got into the altercation. It escalated to the point that one of the individuals was like, I'm going to cut you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so that is the immediate incident point. Right. Uh, they dealt with that point. So what's the secondary effect? What's the effect on your employees? Who knows? Maybe the guy that said I was going to cut you had some great, you know, maybe he was a wonderful employee, but suddenly he had this breakdown, but he had other members. Maybe he was a great leader. You know, how's that going to impact his team? So we got to start thinking about what are the secondary impacts and how do we address those? Mm -hmm. And I think as leadership, you know, that's the leadership of any company. They need to get together and talk through that. We need to be proactive, looking ahead at what those things are and, and what are the best ways to, to deal with that? What are potential future problems that are going to arise coming out of that initial incident? So uh, I think, you know, that's just where the leadership has to get together. I mean, one of the great things that I think the SEAL teams uh, do that I don't see a lot of companies always do is, you know, we get, we do an after action after something happened, we walk through, we talk through, well, what are all the worst case scenarios that could arrive? Mm -hmm. or, you know, what did we learn out of this? What do we think could come out of this? And we talk through what our options may be if something was to happen in the future like that. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that now better prepare your leadership. You know, we, we now have an idea that perhaps this could happen. And then the last thing I would say is as a leader, um, 
don't allow your emotions to get involved in that situation. And that's hard to detach yourself from, especially if it's been, you know, you talk about a mass shooting situation, emotions are going to be running through the roof. No one wants to allow something like that to happen again. So there's going to be a very quick emotional knee-jerk reaction, Mm -hmm. but you've got to take a breath. And, and I would even say in all of those situations, can you walk away from it for a little while? Can you tell that employee that is, you know, in this situation who is supercharged and basically upset and just say, hey, so-and-so, you know, I really appreciate your viewpoint and we're absolutely going to address it. You know, let me go talk to, uh, you know, let me go talk to our team and let's figure out what the best solution to this problem is. So now we're not saying you're right. We're not saying you're wrong. Instead, we're saying we want to figure out a way to fix this. You're able to step away. Hopefully they have some time to cool down. You have some time not to get emotionally charged in this situation and make a knee-jerk reaction. And you're able to go talk through it. After it's over, you know, after you go talk, I mean, maybe you do end up going to that, going to that decision to, um, you know, to, to formally move that person out of the organization. But I think you'll make a better decision that you're able to analyze without making a knee-jerk reaction that could potentially hurt you or hurt your company or put yourself right. back on another X. Yeah. And, and that's something, you know, a lot of people have heard me say in the past, I'm not sure if you've heard me ever say it, but in the work we've done together, but, you know, HR really is a very delicate balance in doing what's in the best interest of the employee and doing what's in the best interest of the employer. And it is a delicate balance. At what point do you have the conversation with somebody um, to make sure that is this, do I have a viable threat on my hands or do I just have somebody that's acting out or lashing out? And you have to use a level head of reason in order to get to that conclusion. And sometimes it means calling somebody in from the outside who has more objectivity. And there's nothing wrong with doing something like that. Matter of fact, that's probably one of the wisest things that anybody can do is bring somebody in who's not directly connected to the situation that can be your, you know, your Sherpa, so to speak, that can be and help you shepherd your your company and your organization through a very difficult time too. Yeah, agreed. I mean, the outside resources, the mentors, I mean, this is why we have boards and advisory boards. I mean, it's right. for those critical moments where you can reach out or even an external, you know, hey, do we have a fellow company or friend that's been through a situation like this? Let's hear your opinion. Absolutely. So, Jay, I really appreciate you coming in and doing this. Thank you so much. This has been just absolutely fantastic. I think folks are really going to get some awesome takeaway from this. And uh, I would love it if you would share with everyone how they could find you if they wanted to look for you. Yeah, Brenda, absolutely. Thank you for having me on. So you guys can find me at jasonredman.com. That's my speaking website where you can learn more about me. You can find my social media. Uh, I am on all social media, but I will admit I am most active on Instagram. And uh, so if you write me on Instagram, that's me. I'm replying. And then uh, from my Jason Redmond page, it'll actually take you to my getoffx.com page. And that's where my coaching and consulting, my online course, 72 Hours to Peak Performance, which is a course that will teach you how to get off the X quickly and how to both prepare, build that overcome mindset, and to create balance in your life for you're ready for those future life ambushes that are coming. They're coming for all of us. We're we're in three different stages, Brenda. You're either A, recovering from a life ambush, B, you're in a life ambush, or C, 
One's coming. It's on the horizon. <laughs> so when when does your book, your new book come out again? Uh, it comes out December 10th. Yeah, it's available for pre-sale now. You can go to uh, overcomebook.com and, uh, you know, you can you can learn more about it. We've got some uh, individuals that have done some great reviews already. Uh, all the early reads are phenomenal. People are loving it. So I really think it's going to help a lot of individuals and companies to navigate those uh, crisis and ambushes that are coming. Very good. Awesome. Thank you so much, my dear. I have thoroughly enjoyed having you on. Uh, this was absolutely fantastic. And I will be talking to you soon. Yeah, Brenda, absolutely. Thank you for having me on. And we are rounding out the last half of the show. Awesome interview. Um, hope you guys had a lot of good takeaway from that. So today, um, got just a couple announcements, and then we've got the HR question of the day. Um, first off, announcement. So for the month of December, there are two opportunities um, for helping grieving employees through the holidays. This is a workshop, both live and virtual. Um, you can go ahead and find out more information about that on bestpractices.org by clicking on the events page. I also may have some other uh, opportunities, some other online workshops coming up. Um, we will see, just keep stay tuned on that. That's still in kind of process for that one. Uh, so stay tuned. And then also at the HR University by Best Practices, it is online and it is a library of online courses designed to help bring the practical and current human resource knowledge to those practicing in the HR field. Um, a lot of these are actually right now designed for individuals who have really zero to no experience or little experience. Um, They're going to eventually progress into more complex matters. Um, but the course content will actually stay in that range for, for a little while. It'll be in the basic compliance, um, but eventually it will grow into some more complexities um, as our workforce changes in its complexity. So um, the most recent course is the basic HR compliance course. Uh, we've also still have up and will be up indefinitely is the Understanding Generation Z. We've got another course, Hiring Talent for Employers, and finally the American with Disabilities Act for Employers. Um, part of the reason why I'm growing this library slowly is because we want to grow it the right way and we want to grow it with the best information possible and that takes research, it takes time, even though I can regurgitate a lot of this right off the top of my head, converting it into a, a format where people can digest it is a completely different deal <laughs> all around. So, <clears throat> but when we do release a course, please make sure that you, you keep in mind that there is the 5 for 50 special, which is always. 50% off for the first five days after the course is released, which is a new course discount, okay? And that will always, always be in place. Take advantage of that special offering by clicking the HR University at the top of the bestpractices.org website and educate, educate, educate. Um, also have two books, yet have not been able to update and change the Holy Cow, I Have to Complete an I-9 book, simply because we don't have a new I-9 just yet. That is forthcoming, but when I do, I'm going to definitely put some updates to that and I'll keep you posted on it. And then finally, we've got the Holy Cow I Have to Talk to My Boss book, uh, and that is online as well. So you can click on shop at the top of the web page. Uh, email me your questions. I get really great questions periodically, and I love the ones that jump out and stand out because I do put those up on the show. <clears throat> so today, 
uh, that question is, are there companies that you've heard of having a no relationship policy between staff? And the answer to that is yes, I have. I've actually worked for companies that um, prohibit those types of close relationships in the workforce. And there's a couple of reason why, reasons why that exists. Um, relationships are very difficult um, for, <laughs> there's a lot of dynamics that go in. First off, we also, you know, every company has their level of group dynamics and it just exists. So there's, you can't get around it, you can't get away from it. Um, whether you build it into your culture or not, you know, dynamics between people are just naturally going to exist. Well, you increase that complexity when you add in family members. So now you have the normal dynamics with just regular people that know each other, and then you add in one more level of family, and then that has dynamics. And usually what I've seen over the years is uh, people with, you know, it's a family-owned business or people that have family members, is that if a family member is doing something against company policy and the other family member happens to be in a position of authority, or a boss or somebody of influence in the company now enters in the politics of having to work with people in a family uh, that are family members because you don't a lot of people don't want to be identified as troublemakers or you know they don't want to cause trouble in the workplace and so sometimes they things tend to go without um, any type of communication or concerns don't get brought up I've worked in a family environment I've worked in a family-owned business, and it is really stressful. And in my situation, it was just the reverse. <clears throat> I wasn't, I, I wasn't, people didn't have an issue throwing me under the bus. <laughs> it came up quite frequently, and I wasn't doing anything wrong. It's just somebody didn't like something I said or did, and then all of a sudden they go running to my, you know, my grandparents, and next thing you know it, somebody was telling me, like, well, why are you saying this? And I'm like, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> like, why would I even say that? Why would I even behave that way? It doesn't even make sense. <clears throat> so it can go both ways. But then take it one more level up from that. Now add in a romantic relationship. And um, but that really makes it complex. So relationships between people who are close, such as family members and friends, are tough. Then you really add in a new level of complexity, and that's the romantic relationship. So if people are dating in the workplace, then that adds a level uh, that takes what you experience with the family stuff and really multiplies it times 12. Um, <clears throat> and nobody's going to want to diss or um, you know talk down about somebody's boyfriend or girlfriend. In addition to that, it's also a conflict of interest to have people in a reporting structure who are dating because now you've got the task of favoritism that you have to manage. So if a manager is dating subordinates, that's bad. And I can tell you right now, when those relationships go sideways in a reporting structure, next thing you know it, you're pulling people into your office because somebody is filing a sexual harassment claim against the person that they broke up with. It is not uncommon. I'm not saying it happens all the time, so I, I don't want you guys to think that's what I'm saying, but this is a, it's a lot more common than what people realize. Um, <clears throat> I have been in businesses where we've permitted relationships amongst people who are dating and we have sat down with those people and have talked to them and say, look, here's the deal. Your relationship is none of our concern. Don't bring your problems here into the workplace. And if there is a significant problem, you guys have to let me know now 
because we're going to have to figure out a way to deal with it. I don't have time and I don't have the, the bandwidth to deal with your relationship. And I know that sounds kind of harsh, but you know what? Everything gets stayed in check. And when they did separate, it never impacted, never impacted the workplace. So when you have that kind of you know, conversation with people, even though I probably sound a little harder than normal, um, <clears throat> it opens up an opportunity to, to have true and honest conversation around expectations. Like I said, it's none of our concern what you guys do with each other, but while you are here and while you are working, this is work. This is not personal. And the minute that you guys carry your personal relationship into the workplace, it's, there's going to be conversation. So, and, and it's just not going to go over very well. So, you know, you can do that. And then, again, it also sets the expectation, like, this is a professional environment. The last thing that you're willing to tolerate and the last thing that you're willing to deal with is somebody making a false claim against somebody just because out of spite. And, and that happens. I mean, it happens a lot. Um, and it, you know, then do it the other way around. <clears throat> you also don't want to set managers up for you know, either accusation or in a position to start exerting authority over, over people that are in their direct report that they're seeing. And now all of a sudden, you really do have a sexual harassment issue. Um, when, we had the, when we had the episode with Chira on, um, you know, we were talking about how the supervisor had three women that were all worked under him. <clears throat> Next thing you know, it, he was dating all three of them, and all three of them got pregnant. <laughs> and he left, and it just was a big mess. So, you know, like I said, these things do tend to come up. And so catching them while you can <clears throat> is best in addressing it up front. So, yes, there are, there are companies out there that do have that policy to eliminate all of that stuff that I mentioned before, and um, it definitely makes sense. So thank you for submitting that. Um, there was no name attached to it. But if you want to submit a question, and potentially have it read on an episode, then go ahead and log on to the, uh, jump onto the bestpractices.work website and click on the podcast link from the menu. And down towards the bottom of the podcast page is the submission form for you to post your question. Um, for those of you who want to know what I'm up to, you guys can follow me around. Apparently, I'm just doing traveling a lot, so everything's coming with me. <laughs> but you guys can find out what I'm up to by uh, jumping on Instagram and Facebook at Best Practices in HR. You can also follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube by just searching for my name, Brenda Neckbottle, and that is N-E-C-K, like the thing you want to choke, V as in Victor, A-T-A-L. And again, the website is bestpractices.work, and jump on the mailing list there and get the latest and greatest of my best practices delivered right to your inbox. So folks, thank you again so much for joining me again today. This has been yet another awesome episode. I cannot wait uh, to share what other really cool things are coming up our way in future episodes. And I'm not even going to give you any highlights this time. So <laughs> you guys have a wonderful rest of the day. Have a really fantastic rest of the week. And uh, we will see you uh, again real soon. Take care.